0: Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in September.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The musical partnership between Alistair Fraser, who's been called the Michael Jordan of Scottish fiddling, and California cellist Natalie Haas spans the full spectrum from intimate chamber music to ecstatic dance energy. Charles Yang, who was awarded the 2018 Leonard Bernstein Award, plays classical violin with the charisma of a rock star, that's according to the Boston Globe, and according to the Texas Observer, Mr. Yang is a true crossover artist, a pioneer who can hop between classical and popular music and bring fresh ideas to fans of both genres. Well, today on Axis Utah, we're spotlighting the Moab Music Festival, we're talking with Alistair Fraser, Natalie Haas, and Charles Yang. We're going to also hear a music performed by these artists. Before we jump into my conversation with Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas, uh, let's hear a little bit of music performed by those two. Um, and uh, this is—it was described by Natalie Haas as one of her favorite uh, pieces. Let's just hear a minute or two uh, from a piece called Josephine's Waltz. <laughs> So let me start with you, Natalie Haas. Tell me a little bit about. The, I know you've performed at the Moab music festival a, a few times. T- tell me about this, what the, the setting and, and and how it is.
2: Yes, um, I've been there uh, many times over the years, actually, with different uh, formations of uh, ensembles. Um, And uh, it is just one of the most incredible places on Earth. And I I feel very privileged to get to come back there this year, especially considering uh, what's going on in the world. Um, This is going to be our first gig in six months. And uh, we're so thankful to get to play for people (laughs) live again um, in such a special place as Moab um, and in a safe way.
1: In a safe way, how how are they doing that? Uh, to be outside, will it or what? Uh...
2: Outside, yeah. Everybody's wearing masks and socially distance um, our, ourselves on stage as well as the audience, and uh, uh, hand sanitizer and um, stations. And um, I think they're doing a great job. So um, we feel very lucky to be working with them.
1: Alistair Frazier, these are these are strange times. Uh, I imagine not performing as much or are you back to performing a little bit?
3: <laughs> no, it's been a, a a time to recalibrate really and um there's been a lot of soul searching and you know, trying to find different avenues. Um uh, as Natalie said, you know, I think we've played our our free. COVID gig, uh, well, just to the edge there on March, and then we've been, uh, you know, we've had various projects in, in tow since then. We, we're making an album together, so we could do that at a distance, and um, you know, we can always be creative and uh, that kind of thing, but it, but really the sharp end of playing music is, is playing in a communal setting, I think, where people can can listen and get the the sense of sharing something together, and uh, that's what we miss, and that that is what is uh, delightfully on the on the cards <laughs> at Moab. So we're thrilled um, because we do get to gather and to share and to gather around music is what we believe in.
1: You mentioned uh, soul searching. Does it, it will will there be some soul searching going into some songwriting during this time?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think so. I, I mean, uh I think that's one of the great uh things about music uh, that that the art is that it's there for us to to examine and to to celebrate and to um you know, to to, to reflect honestly what we're feeling um and it could be joyous, and it could be more reflective, and 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 we do tend to cover those kinds of areas in our our programming anyway. But yeah, um, having the, the pandemic has definitely given us a, an opportunity to think about um, what it means to to live in this time, and and also uh, to be thankful for the the people that you you miss even more because you can't see them. <laughs>
1: Right. We could, yeah, miss even more. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's some, there's some bright spots, right? Some things that you can uh, glass half full type things. Mm.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Natalie House, I want to read the, a paragraph um, from your website, nataliehouse.com. <laughs> um, this, this struck me. Uh, so you say the world at large, and especially musicians, are having a rough time now. Uh, Looking at canceled gigs for the foreseeable future, in addition to our entire livelihood being threatened as to what we do, bringing people together, is no longer safe. If and when we overcome this and come out on top, it'll be time to rebuild and rethink on the positive side. We will always, all caps, always need music, hopefully by summer and by that I mean fiddle camp time we will be ready to <laughs> gather again gather again and celebrate being human together with the aid of music and dance to help us process our emotions and rebuild our communities that's uh, that's powerful i found that very powerful um it, it is i mean it's tough as a musician right but uh, you you uh, you say you're going to rebuild and rethink on the positive side
2: absolutely yeah and and um i think i wrote that back in march um And so I was hoping it would be this summer, but now it's probably looking like next year at least. And, you know, so much uncertainty. But um, we do, as Osir was saying, it's been a good time to do some soul searching and just be thankful for all of the amazing times we've had playing music, traveling the world, building communities at fiddle camps and um, throughout the globe. And uh these are the people that we're, we're missing right now, and we're trying to find ways to, to stay connected with each other, even if it's not in person. Um, and I, I just find myself being so grateful for all of these uh, communities um, that we're not able to connect with in, a, in a, uh, a physical way right now, but still feeling very connected, to um, despite our distance.
1: And that's a lot, a lot of what music is, right? It's connection. And so, this is connecting in a Absolutely. different way. Hopefully, get back to connecting in person, right?
2: Yeah, it's just so, so thankful to Moab Music Festival for giving us the opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, Alistair Frazier, I wanted to, uh, I want to have you talk a little bit about a couple of interesting things from your bio. Um, I hadn't known this until I went to AlistairFrazier.com, dot com um, that you you studied science and music at school, apparently. And went to work as a petrophysicist with British Petroleum. That took you to California in 1981. Uh, That I guess people who know you (laughs) as a musician uh, would be surprised to learn you started out as a petrophysicist.
3: I I guess so. And you know, it's it's been such an interesting journey. And the way I think, I've always thought, is I'm curious about things. You know, I, I. I was very interested in physics, I was interested in science, I still am. I like to you know how things work, what makes them tick. Um, and that, that, of course, builds a bridge into music and the arts. And uh, they really do come together. And so in the you know early stages of my life, I was always playing music, but I was definitely interested in exploring. Uh, and, you know, I just kind of kind of accidentally really ended up following a, a, a career in physics. And and then, who would have thought I ended up in oil exploration, which gave me a great excuse to travel. Um, and so I, I would do that, and I would take a fiddle everywhere I went, and, and um, all the while asking, you know, what were the merits of a life-led in, in science versus a life led in following the arts and the muse. And eventually, actually fairly early on, <laughs> the muse won out. I, I like the idea of solving the questions posed by the muse. Uh, uh, but I still, you know, I keep my hand in following what's going on in the sciences and try to bring it all together. I think there is a, a, a common, it's a common symptom really for for a lot of musicians to, to have had a background in some other area um, and uh, they really do they help each other I, I think
1: You you think there are some common impulses? Yeah
3: Well even you know I did an article on this one time years ago it was if you, you can distill it down to a search for for harmony or for pat, patterns, you know, pattern behavior and um, the possibilities and you know it, it, music really does uh, depend on a lot of those el- elements as do the, the sciences and so it, it's it's wonderful to to have that whole area of investigation and then to to have a background in that maybe and plug it into the music but but I have to say once you pick up a violin and you play and Natalie and I play um you know, that, that all disappears and you're entirely flying in a, in a musical in, in environment and seeking some kind of oneness with, with the person that you're playing with and with the, what the music is is asking. And so it's, it's a privilege, really, to, to do that.
1: So, Natalie Haas, uh, you went to Juilliard, I think, right? What was what was your goal? What, what did you think you were gonna end up doing?
2: <laughs> well, unlike uh, um, these people, Alistair's talking about who had a previous career. No, I, I kind of knew from the beginning that I wanted to go into music, and having discovered uh, traditional music at a very early age through Alistair, actually in his fiddle camps um, in California where I grew up. Um, I went to Juilliard because it was kind of my only uh, opportunity to to study music, even though, uh, I mean, uh, most uh, classical, most cellists, I should say, um, have a classical music background. And uh, I did start with classical music, um, but then discovered that there was this whole other world out there of uh, music surrounding the fiddle um, in various uh, parts of the, the world, mostly The ones that I came in contact with were from North Atlantic Celtic music and um, music from Europe and um, North America as well. And uh, so, um, yeah, I went went to Juilliard kind of knowing I wanted to study music, not really having many opportunities in this country to study traditional music in a college setting. Um, So I I just wanted to become better at my instrument. So I, I did Juilliard for... The four years, uh, it took to get my bachelor's degree, but Alistair and I were actually touring, um, that entire time, um, with our fiddle, cello, Scottish music duo and, uh, continued to do that once I, I ended my conservatory studies. So, um, I, am very, feel very lucky that I was informed, um, by that wonderful, um, education and, and getting a, a good solid technique and, uh, um, and just now I'm able to use that to, to play the, the kind of music that I love.
1: You're listening to Access Utah. We are revisiting a uh, conversation from September of this year uh, we, in which we were previewing the Moab Music Festival with uh, three of the artists who were to appear uh, they in September, which they did, and we're talking right now with cellist Natalie Haas and uh, fiddler Alistair Frazier. Later in the program, we'll be talking with violinist Charles Yang.
0: Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and CAPSA, a nonprofit rape crisis center, providing free and confidential services for cash and rich counties, including support phone line, rape exam advocacy, and clinical therapy. Information at CAPSA.org. Support also comes from USU's College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences, enhancing lives through education, discovery, and outreach, and training tomorrow's high school agriculture and technology teachers. Information at caas.usu.edu.
4: Hey, I'm Noelle King from NPR. We are proud to make this public service available to anyone who wants to listen to it. But when it comes to funding this station, we need everyone who can to pitch in. You've taken an important step by being a listener. And today is Giving Tuesday. That's a perfect time to take the next step. Here's how to support the journalism you depend on.
0: You can take that next step by making a donation to Utah Public Radio at upr.org or on the UPR app.
1: Thanks for listening to Access Utime, Tom Williams. Ahead of the Moab Music Festival in September, we talked with three of the artists who were set to appear there, uh, which they did. Uh, and, uh, of course, the festival was, uh, uh, had to adapt to COVID, but uh, many of the venues are outside, and so they're able to go ahead. Uh, we are talking right now with Alistair Frazier and Natalie Haas. Later in the program, violinist Charles Yang. Alistair Fraser, I uh, to Tell me a bit about, uh, I guess, the searching for a cellist, finding uh, Natalie. It's, <laughs> uh, on your on the website, uh, you say since two thousand three, Alistair has featured a duo with cellist uh, Natalie Haas, restoring the wee fiddle with the big fiddle partnership that flourished in the eighteenth century Scotland. So the, this this flourished uh, earlier. It, uh, nowadays, we you know, until I guess you and Natalie started touring, you'd, you wouldn't have thought about a fiddle and cello with Scottish music.
3: Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing, and you know, going back to that inquisitive mind that I I can have sometimes. <laughs> I I grew up in Scotland, playing traditional music, and like Natalie, you know, I was I was also playing in classical areas. But I, I, my my soul and my heart was interested in following the, the story of traditional music, my own culture, and where the music had been and where where was it, where was it going. And how how could I have a voice in it? And how could I share my, my joy of it? And I would play for many years with a, with a pianist, uh, which I loved, and I would play in smaller ensembles. But I knew that the dances that that were very popular in Scotland, in Perthshire, in the, in the countryside, and also at the, at the large gatherings in, in the city, at the assembly rooms in Edinburgh, for example, in the 18th century into the 19th century, these dances were played for by a fiddle and a cello, and the fiddler was was um, you know playing a lot of the, the fashionable dance tunes of the day, and the cellist would be making up an accompaniment to these tunes, and that was the dance band of choice in Scotland, in the village hall and in the the, the great gatherings, and so I, I I began to wonder what happened to it, you know, why why did people stop. Doing that, and of course, largely that would takes us to the piano, and the piano kind of um, elbowed out the cello a little bit, as it did in some Baroque uh, musical areas. Um, So we we decided to to put the cello back in there and give it its its rightful position in the center of the tradition. And, uh, we haven't looked back since, really, because, uh, I've, speaking personally, I was very fortunate to find someone like Natalie, who was just absolutely, uh, excited at the idea of asking what the cello could do in that situation, and, and went hook, line, and sinker into kind of redefining the cello in traditional music. So, um it's been just a, fantastic, thrilling time.
1: I'd like to get your perspective on that, uh, Natalie. Um, <laughs> re- redefining, rediscovering, exploring what, what uh, cello can do in traditional music?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, As I said, I, I went to Elster's Camps as a kid, um, and that was my first exposure to traditional music. I, I um, got uh, introduced to well just the possibility that cello could be an element um in that music there um with Abby Newton who's a great american uh cellist playing scottish music more of that baroque style uh kind of figured bass um so that that's what people had been doing up up until then in scottish music and and I was um coming to it not you know as an american um as an outsider uh learning this music that wasn't my own, so I, I felt sort of more of a creative license to to do my own thing to it. So I was he- very heavily influenced by, um, especially by Alistair, but also by um, some wonderful uh, pioneers of the string world. I think we're we're living through a really exciting age for for string music, and uh, in the last 20 or 30 years or so, and. Um, Daryl Anger, who's a wonderful fiddle player and uh founding member of the Turtle Island String Quartet, um, he uh pioneered this rhythmic technique called the chop, which I adopted for myself um and started using in, in Celtic music. And um that just opened up my whole palette to, you know, uh expanding the cello's vocabulary to make it less of a bass instrument and more of a percussive instrument so that's kind of been my my personal journey um just trying to develop all the possible colors that I can, that the cello can make. It's a very versatile instrument. It can play melody. It can imitate a guitar or a harp or a bass or uh, many other things. So I've, you know, and especially with just the two of us in, in the band, um, it's uh, very liberating for for me to, um, I have a, a very broad scope of uh, experimentation available to me of, of all the different Kinds of sounds I can make, and, and so we're we're still exploring uh, what these two instruments can do together, uh, even after twenty years.
1: <laughs> uh, even after twenty years, yeah. Uh, so tell me about the latest. Is is parts of call? Is that the latest recording?
2: Yeah, that one came out. Uh, uh, it's been three years now, I think, and we've been working on the newest one since then. And uh, we're we're kind of taking our time and, and getting it just the way we want it. So uh, that one should be coming out very soon as well.
1: Uh, Alistair Fraser, anything you want to say about the the, the one you're working on
3: now? Yeah, um, I'm actually well. Of course, we're always excited. I think Natalie and I have said a couple of times in this, this um, interview that we're, we're excited, and I think that that is a. Um, it's amazing to 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 have music in your life in that way, and to have it be that real, you know, and in the moment and, and alive, and. Uh, because we're not only playing the music from our our heroes in the past, going back through the centuries, we're asking questions. You know, we're saying what now, what if, and so a lot of increasingly our our palette, our, our repertoire is um, original composition, um, and this next album that we're about to put release. Um, it's entirely our own compositions, and all the albums have had a, a smattering of our own compositions. But this next one is is a, a more of a statement in, in that direction. Uh, you know, we we've lived in the music, we've experimented with it, we've tested it, and that, and then you take these ideas and you fold it into something new and put it out there. Um, so that, that's what the next one is about, and, and it is—it's exciting. It, it's a, you move forward in trepidation when you <laughs> when you're releasing something that's that personal. And I'm delighted to say that Natalie has uh, many more compos- of her own compositions on this next album, uh, which again we are excited about. And um, yeah, it's it's very. As I say, alive. The music, traditional music, is often thought to be uh, old music, but in fact, the health of a tradition is dependent on how how well it it renews itself, you know, going forward. And I often think about that in the you know in the 18th century when they were composing these fiddle tunes for the dances. These were brand new tunes that were written on demand, because there was a hunger for that music, and uh, that continues now. The, the, there's a very healthy uh, scene around uh, traditional music, and part of that means we have to create new material, mm. so that's that's the, the goal right now.
1: I see in your joint website, which is Alister and uh, Natalie dot com. There's a there's a video of uh, I don't know if it might be new music string sessions, Alistair and Natalie. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, take a listen to that. Uh, Natalie, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left here. I was tooling around both your websites. You have the joint website, and then there's Natalie and there's Alister dot com. Um, all those websites there there's a there's a taste. You have some songs that you can listen to. And uh, from your recording called Abundance, there's a song I was uh-huh. I was enjoying this, and then I then I was then I read uh, what the words mean. It's it's the song on the wings of a scori. Oh yes, <laughs> you yeah. Tell, there's tell there's us about some that. great
2: imagery with that, with that um, tune. It, it's it's actually a modern. Alistair was talking about the living tradition, and it's a modern tune from the Shetland Islands. And when we say modern, we probably mean the last. 30 years or so. Unfortunately, the, the guy who wrote it, Michael Ferry, uh, passed away um, when he was uh, quite young, and this is probably maybe 15 years ago now or so, 20 years ago. Um, but anyway, the, the story is that he was uh, watching his cat play outside in the garden, and uh, this, uh, they call it a, a scory in Shetland, it's kind of like a large gull, um, swept down, landed. And uh the cat was very curious and and jumped onto the back of the of the seagull, who then took off with the cat on board um and the, uh Michael witnessed this whole scene uh happening from his uh window and um Wrote a tune about it. It definitely merited the tune. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. I'm
2: not sure what the outcome was if the cat survived or or what. <laughs> but it's it's nice to sort of want to. You, you get to make up your own ending.
1: <laughs> it's it's quite the image. It's quite the image. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and as you say, we, you know, and Alistair did as well earlier in this interview. We we tend to think of traditional music as all being having been composed way back in the in the day. So it's interesting to have you know, quote unquote, newly or newish composed traditional music.
2: Absolutely, yeah. W- wonderful new tunes out there um, from all over.
1: Yeah. Uh, did, did Alistair Pritchard, do you have a do you have a favorite tune, favorite piece of music? I guess it's probably what you're working on lately.
3: <laughs> oh wow. well, you know, when you're in the middle of a project, your your head and your heart is absolutely full to bulging with the material that you're working on. <laughs> um, you kind of miss, especially when you've created it yourself you're kind of massaging it and you're thinking about it you're about to release it and and, uh, so you become consumed by it but um, favorite tune that we play I don't know I I I feel so uh, rich in, in that I the repertoire Natalie and I play spans that area from old tunes like the Duchess of Bedford by William Marshall which I think is a such a tasty morsel, you know, and it's it's so beautifully uh written and it's very very short and When I play that with Natalie, I just go to a a really special place and and it's it's more of an eighteenth century baroque kind of a place and then when we play some of our other material, which is much more wild dance music or it's more um uh, questioning as I say compositionally more of our original material uh, that gives me a different kind of a, a thrill to, to play that so uh, I think just I just celebrate the richness and, and the, breadth, the breadth the breadth that we get to dip into
1: hmm. uh, So final question uh, Natalie with the same question to you do you have a favorite <laughs> tune, piece, album?
2: Yeah, well, oh, man, of our own music? Uh
1: yeah, or anything. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a hard question. Uh, yeah, I won't help you um, at all. I won't narrow down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um well, I was actually looking forward to see what Alistair's answer would be about uh tunes from the new album cuz uh, he hasn't actually told me what his favorite piece is yet. Um we've been like deep in the mixing and editing process and uh so as he says, yes, we're very um absorbed by, by that music right now. But yeah, favorite tune of all time, um, I guess, yeah, from our own music because that's a narrower field <laughs> to, to, with, from which to choose. Um, it's actually uh, not our composition, it, um, and this is, this is still my favorite tune of all time. It's one that we've recorded, but it's uh, written by a uh, Swedish guitarist from the band Lesson, a traditional trio from Sweden, and uh, they're... Uh, just incredibly inventive uh, musicians, and um, still my my favorite uh band to listen to um, and it the tune is josephine 's waltz it 's just a beautiful melody, just perfectly constructed in in my opinion <laughs> and we recorded it on our on our first album uh, fire and grace
1: oh it sounds sounds wonderful well we uh, reached the end of our time and it's it 's been a pleasure uh, Alistair treasure thank you so much
3: yeah it 's a pleasure talking with you.
1: And uh, Natalie Haas, thank you. Thank you for having us. My conversation with Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas. I wanted to go out with this segment with a wonderful uh, tune, which you can find on Natalie Haas's uh, website. And we uh, we talked about this uh, near the end of this interview. This is a playful tune about a kitten riding on the back of a gull. This is called On the Wings of a Scorey. Let's go out this section with this piece, about three minutes.
0: Support for the UPR-produced podcast, Debunked, is made possible by the Utah Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health, providing substance use disorder, mental health, and suicide prevention resources throughout Utah. Information at dsamh.utah.com. On Giving Tuesday, people all over the world unite to do good. You can volunteer, use your voice to amplify a cause you care about, or donate to organizations making a difference. In this time of separation, generosity can make us feel more connected. And so can public radio. Hi, I'm Sarah McCammon. This NPR station is a nonprofit that connects your community to the country and to the world. Here's how to support it. You can make your donation right now at upr.org or on the UPR app. And thank you.
1: My name is Larry Cannon. I have listened to Utah Public Radio since its inception. Our lives are richer for what Utah Public Radio brings into them.
0: Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in September.
1: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're uh, spotlighting the Moab Music Festival. And uh, we talked earlier in the program with uh, Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas. We now bring in Charles Yang, who's uh, one of the headline performers. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit of music performed by uh, Charles Yang as we go along here as well. Uh, Charles Yang, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Tom. Great to be here.
1: Uh, good good to have you with us. So where, am I t- where are you talking to me from?
5: <laughs> I'm in New York right now.
1: Is that, is that your base? You're, you're based in New York these days?
5: Yep. Yep, oh. I uh, actually moved during this quarantine, which oh. was uh, <laughs> which was tough. Oh, oh you did? But, uh, yeah, I I I moved apartments, and it was just a big hassle. But uh, I'm ready to I'm ready to see some of the beautiful Utah scenery. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Now you have performed out in Moab before, I think.
5: Yeah, I think this might be my I don't remember, but a good six or seven years I've been coming to Moab.
1: Yeah, this is an this interesting festival. You've got music hikes, you've got uh, community concerts, um, uh, grotto concerts, so a lot of beautiful venues.
5: Yep. Yeah, uh, it's, it's truly something special. I mean, you know, as performers, um, we've played, you know, so many different venues from, you know, Carnegie Hall to, to, to you know, big arenas or, or whatnot. Um, but there's something so special about what you all have in Moab. And this festival really kind of uh, portrays that. It's just playing out in nature where music um, is rarely heard, but it's the perfect amphitheater. All these natural environments, um, some of the greatest reverbs I've heard, you know, some, some incredible acoustics within the grottos. It's just it's unbelievable, and it's magical for both. The performers and the audience numbers and and, it, and especially now during these times where we can't perform indoors at these uh, concert venues, this is the perfect um, venue <laughs> you know
1: so i, I I'm imagining you know, as a performer, the pandemic can't help but have affected you right uh, fewer performances maybe
5: oh sure I mean it's all yeah, <laughs> usually during this time. We're just, or um, anytime, we're on tour. So uh, just having a four-month break of a four months of no, no touring was just such a, I haven't felt this since college, you know, this yeah. kind of lifestyle. And, and, of course, it's heartbreaking. So many concerts canceled. So many organizations um, have needed to fold because of this pandemic. But the music lives on, and uh, the musicians are, uh, I think, Every day we've been being creative and practicing at home. It's just there's so much. The silver lining is that there's there might be so much creativity that comes out of this. And um, but just listening to Natalie and Alice play, it's it's unbelievable. I, I'm such a big fan.
1: Uh, I want to talk about uh, a crossover. You've been uh, described as a true crossover artist, a pioneer who can hop between classical, <clears throat> popular music, bring fresh ideas to fans of both the genres. That's quoting the Texas Observer there. Um, it, so you're, you know, you perform with Time for Three and collaborated with uh, Peter Dugan and uh, Jake Shimabukuro and uh, um, John Batiste and many other artists. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. You, this, this uh, taste for I guess you you want to include a lot of different music genres.
5: Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, crossover is a it, it's it's a term. I guess the the real thing is just yeah, going doing different genres. You know, crossing over really it's just a term that the industry uses. But um, for me, it's it's um, just being curious with music, and I've always been curious with music. It started with you know learning the blues uh, from where I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. And, and, and transferring that over to how I can input that in my classical um, livelihood. Uh, but I soon realized that everything I learned in classical, different styles, Baroque, Romantic styles, contemporary styles, all the styles that we play in classical music is technically different genres, just put into one category. So um, there's just so many different styles that you can hop between And for me, I just went the extreme, you know, I, I, I re- I'm really curious about, um, as I said, blues and, and R&B and pop and um, trying to bring that over, just bringing different audiences to different um, genres of music and letting them explore what they might not think they like, you know, so uh, it's a big part of. Why I love playing music.
1: <laughs> now I understand. On uh, time for three, you uh, you sing, right? There's there's two two violinists who are also vocalists, right? and I guess the the double bass player is vocalist as well.
5: Yeah, so we all sing. Um, I sing lead, but um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a complete. Uh, you know, it's just the three of us, and and we create all these sounds. So we think of each, we think of our instrumentation as three. Uh, three, you know, three voices on on our instruments, and then three more voices on our voices, so six uh, voices total. And and it's great to have this limitation and just to create within those confines. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's a lot of fun. I found two other members in my, you know, the in this group that are very like minded. Same with Peter Dugan, who I collaborate with all the time. We're very like minded, curious, and uh, I just love working with people like that.
4: You'll
1: be performing a concert with uh, Peter Dugan, I understand, at the the, at the Moab Music Festival. Yep, <clears throat> and it, it's kind of mysterious. Yep. On the website, it says program to be announced from the stage. It'll, it'll be uh, <laughs> classical and jazz and a bunch of a bunch
5: of stuff. Yep. Well, um, <clears throat> uh, another thing we like to do uh, is it, it, there's the element of surprise sometimes, you know, with the set list and. It's like if you went to a Rolling Stones concert, you wouldn't get a program of all the songs are going to play back to back, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for us, just that kind of to curate how the program works, song after song is is uh, what we like to do, and that's what we're going to do in the uh, in, in the show in Moab.
1: Well, I want to get this in. Uh, I went to your website uh, it's by is dot com, and you got some got some great music there. Um, and I, I pulled a bit of uh, the you you soloing with the uh, uh, eric Korngold violin concerto we'll we'll play that at the end of the concert uh but this was just so fun i had to i had to pull this at least part of this Uh, you and peter dugan the video is set i think out in colorado uh but you're you're doing an homage to to morricone uh yeah the, the good bad and the ugly and and i think you call this the bad and the ugly or something
5: yeah, yeah, that was fun.
1: Yeah, uh, so so you're on the violin, and Peter Dugan is what is he playing?
5: The... He's playing. Uh, Peter Dugan is first of all, he's you know the host of NPR's uh, From the Top, but is one of the greatest pianists out right now. Uh, but in this video, in this particular video, you know we are out in uh, Colorado, no piano out in the uh, out out in the open. So we so he brought his melodica.
1: Melodica, and that's what he yeah, it's yeah. it's beautiful. So so this is a nice sound, and you you really capture. It's it's a nice homage to uh, Morricone. Uh, let let's uh, let hear a bit of this. <laughs> Yeah, so you hear the ambiance there, and then it goes on. We'll, we'll just play that part. But uh, at the very end of the video, yeah. by the way, um, apparently somebody approaches, and you're heard <laughs> saying, hey, is it okay to film here? <laughs> Fairly was.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was a silly video. And uh, we were actually there for uh, the Gateway Canyons uh, retreat. Uh, they, um, uh, Yeah, there's a great kind of think tank, and we performed there. And we were just playing out in this kind of open field and and, um, I guess uh, someone that worked there drove by and (laughs) it was totally cool that we filmed there. He was just making, he was kind of double-checking what we were doing because we were doing all these takes. (laughs) It was just silly (laughs) what we were doing.
1: Yeah, check it out. You can find it on Charles Yang's YouTube channel. Uh, It's just beautiful. Uh, A couple of these great performers just out in the wild having some fun with with, uh, Morikone. Um, I wonder what, uh, I mean, you performed... Everywhere, right? Uh, not literally everywhere, but uh, m- many of the great <laughs> concert halls performed in some of these great outdoor settings. Uh, do you have a, a favorite venue?
5: Whew, that's a that's a hard one. I I mean, every summer I, I, I you know I, I look forward to Moab actually, and I'm not just saying this because we're talking about Moab. Moab, seriously, is is a magical place, and you know. W- of course, I can say, you know, we, we played the music for Ryan, um, this last year uh, in Vienna, which was a great hall. Um, of course, Carnegie Hall and, and some great, um, yeah, famous halls. But there's nothing like playing Bach uh, in the mountains. And that's something that I've done a couple times in Moab, just in these grottos playing the Bach Chacon um, in the middle of nowhere where it seems. But the acoustics are perfect. It actually, the grottos look almost like an amphitheater because of how the water has just kind of dug into the land and it just produced this beautiful, um, yeah, just a beautiful natural hall. So I have to say there's nothing more special than that, you know, um, kind of the unexpected. There's no tech, there's no nothing, you know, we're just playing out in the open and um, and it's you're collaborating with nature. With uh, you hear bird calls that kind of answer your playing, and it's it really is something special that you can't find anywhere else.
1: No, that, that sounds beautiful. Sounds beautiful. And we're talking with uh, the wonderful violinist Charles Yang. Um, so, you're a composer as well. I do, yeah. I do compose. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. It, it has different musical muscles, I'm guessing, than performing, or is it similar? Yeah,
5: I, it's. You definitely different muscles. You're right, but it's 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 just something. It goes back to me being curious about things, and I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a composer like um, a lot of mono composers are, you know, these days, orchestrally. But for me, it's more of a, a songwriting approach and uh, just exploring different sounds um, with different voicings. So um, I love, for example, with Time for Three, we write we all write together. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, we've been, we didn't train as composers, but we learned from school, you know, harmony and, um, theory and, uh, and all these kind of voicing techniques that, um, uh, just kind of help bring our ideas to the table. And we, we curate that towards our own sound. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I rarely compose for, um, for other, other things. It's mainly for either time for three or um or what what I do with Peter or other collaborators, but it's just it's it's fun to 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 be able to create your own thing and perform your own thing like the old masters used to do you know Liszt and Chopin going on tour with their own music was just while being virtuosas at their instrument was just so fascinating to me so um, yeah, I think that I think that started probably in college and we've been doing it. Uh, ever since we love arranging um, Peter and I will do a lot of arrangements uh, in Moab and kind of like the morricone, but less silly
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um,
5: but just just finding just finding a tune that people have known for so many years you know uh, uh, some of their favorites and reimagining them in a way that 's fresh uh, and different, not exactly how they 've heard it before uh, and it goes to classical music too it's uh, if you find an interpretation that that speaks to you, you know, your own voice. It's, it's, um, it's something we've trained up for many years. So it all kind of is uh, similar, but yeah, you're definitely right. It's a different muscle.
1: <laughs> oh, we just have uh, two or three minutes left. I want to make sure we get uh, some of this uh, music in. So um, tell me a little, just a little bit about uh, this uh, Korngolt uh, piece. Uh, this is on your website. Uh, this from, in fact, you have the entire uh, first movement from the Corngold Violin Concerto with you performing a soloist.
5: Yeah. Um, Corngold's <clears throat> another one of these composers that uh he is kind of the grandfather of the Hollywood sound or like uh, movie music as they said and and um a lot of his music uh was recycled for um uh, recycled is a terrible word but he used many of the themes for his concert music as well as his m- movie music and this borrows from many many themes that he's written for for the screen and um yeah it's it's one of my favorite concertos it's so juicy And I played this uh, at the Crested Butte Music Festival some years ago. And um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy.
1: All right. So the place to go is charlesyangmusic.com. So we'll go out with this, but we'll say goodbye first to Charles Yang. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.
5: Tom, you too. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You bet. Let's go out with this Charles Yang soloing uh, with a bit of the uh, Korngolt uh, Violin Concerto. holiday programming on UPR is made possible by Intermountain Healthcare. It's still important to stay safe from the virus during the holidays. Please continue to practice social distancing and be diligent about hand hygiene. Take back control. Information at intermountain.com slash COVID-19.
0: You've made a lot of hard choices this year, rescheduling big events, canceling trips to see loved ones, but figuring out where to give this Giving Tuesday, that's an easier choice. I'm Audie Cornish, and this station is a nonprofit organization bringing comprehensive, up to date news to everyone in your community. And it starts with your decision to donate. Here's how You can support this work by donating now at upr.org or on the UPR app. And thank you.
2: A statewide service of Utah State University's College of Humanities and Social Sciences. This is KUSR Logan, KUSUFM Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, MOAP, KUST Price, KCEU, and streaming online at upr.org.